my brother and friend, Father Bill, and we pray that you continue to pour out your spirit upon us today, Lord. May your Holy Spirit enable Bill to speak the words you desire for us to hear and give us ears to hear that your word may go within us and bear fruit, fruit that lasts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, good morning again. A couple of um, the girls and I are reading for school the book Fahrenheit 451, and I don't know if anyone ever remembers reading that book. I, I imagine I probably did in high school. I don't remember much of high school, sadly. Um, but we've been reading that book, and it's interesting if you know just a little of the background of that book. It was written 70 years ago now, which is pretty amazing, in 1950. And as a lot of the books that were written in that time, I think a lot of authors were trying to deal with the change they saw coming in the world. And it's amazing how kind of prophetic some of these things were. Well, that book w was about the burning of books. And I always thought, well, it was about censorship. You know, it was about the government coming in and saying, okay, books and ideas are bad if they're not ours, and so we're going to confiscate them all and burn them. But the amazing thing is, is I realized um, in the first section of that book, that's really not what the book is about. Yes, it's about the burning of books, but it's more about a change in society that the author saw coming. And I think that we really, really see going on in the world around us. And in one part of the book, what has kind of happened is all most of the books have been burned, they're illegal, so people, the few people that have them are hiding them. And really, everyone in society is quite happy with this because it gives them license to pursue pleasure. And they do this in the book through kind of this artificial means, what we might call virtual reality today. They literally... Um, the main character in the book, his wife has this room that she loves to go to. It's called the parlor, in which it's basically surrounded by TV screens and she has a virtual family and a virtual life that she lives there. And of course, she plays her little part and everything is just wonderful. And one day, at some point, he he's a fireman the main character, and he actually partakes in burning books and so forth, but he begins to sneak books home and hide them. And at one point, he actually gets a Bible. Now, evidently, at this time, the Bible is pretty much unheard of. It's pretty much gone. But the fascinating thing is that there are still people that claim to believe in Jesus. They simply don't have the Bible to go by. And he's having a conversation in one scene with a professor, this man who used to be an English professor, who's, of course, no longer a professor because education is gone because there are no books. And he sneaks this copy of the Bible to him. And the professor, after holding it for a long time and even describing how it smelled and, and reading several passages, he exclaims to him, you know, I'm not a religious man, but this is as good as I remember. 
Lord, how they've changed it in our parlors these days. Christ is one of the family these days. I often wonder if God recognizes His own Son the way we have dressed Him up, or has it dressed Him down? He's a regular peppermint stick now, all sugar and crystal and saccharin, when He isn't making veiled references to certain commercial products that every worshiper absolutely needs. I wonder if he had any idea how much he was speaking about our culture today. On the way to our house, we kind of live out in the country now. There's several large churches, you know, of course, with the, the really nice big color billboards and screens. And I can't help but notice every time I drive by one of them, there's not one mention of Holy Week. In fact, on Good Friday, if you want, you can go flashlight Easter egg hunting this week. And I, I don't say that in judgment. I fall short so many times when it comes to, and how can we even fathom the events that really took place on this Holy Week? But the reality is, as His people, I believe we are supposed to do just that. To wrestle with, to remember. You see, God has always called His people to be first and foremost a people of remembrance. Dietrich Bonhoeffer once wrote in The Cost of Discipleship about cheap grace. He said cheap grace was that grace that did not take seriously either the gravity of sin or the radical call to servanthood. Bonhoeffer would later write, When Jesus bids a man come, he bids him to come and die. There's not a whole lot of comfort in that. Or sweetness or sugariness. It is this dimension of remembrance that is well served by our Holy Week observances. And today, I really wanted to spend not very long, but talk a little bit. I know Father Ronnie shared with me kind of what you guys have been doing this Lent talking about why the church does the things that it does. Today I'm going to talk about the days of Holy Week and why each of them is important in their own right. And no matter how we celebrate them, how we uh, walk through them, that we are called as Christians to remember each of those days. That We can't just jump forward from Palm Sunday to Easter no matter how much we want to. No matter how much that feeds into our idea of comfort and joy and all the things that we want in our culture, the fact is Jesus had to walk through these events. And He had to walk through them because of us. Amen? You see, the joyful celebrations of Palm Sunday and Easter... We can't really fully separate those. We can't fully celebrate those unless we realize the suffering, humiliation, and death that is Holy Week. It is important that for us to place the hope of the resurrection, the promise of newness in life, against the background of death and endings. It is only in walking through the shadows and darkness of Holy Week and Good Friday, only in realizing the horror and magnitude of sin and its consequences in the world, incarnated in the dying Jesus on the cross, only in contemplating the ending and despair that the disciples felt on Holy Saturday, 
that we can truly understand the light and hope of Easter Sunday. Amen? In 1 Chronicles chapter 16, in verses 10 through 12, we read this, Glory in His holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Look to the Lord and His strength. Seek His face always. Remember the wonders He has done, His miracles and the judgments He pronounced. You see, I believe there really is no worship without remembrance. If you look all the way back to the Old Testament from the Israelites' deliverance from Egypt and the Exodus, the very first thing God calls them to is remembrance. That's why they kept the Passover. That's why they kept it year after year after year, even in the midst of exile. Even when the temple had been destroyed, they remembered the Passover. They remembered God's holy deeds. And isn't it just like God to have this Holy Week fall during the time of Passover, this period of remembrance? And for us too, as the church, we are called always to remember. And it begins with this Palm Sunday. Holy Week begins always on the sixth Sunday of Lent. This Sunday observes the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem that was marked by crowds who were in Jerusalem for Passover, waving palm branches and proclaiming Him as the Messianic King. He was from the line of David. He was their deliverer. The Gospel tells us that Jesus will ride into the city on a donkey, enacting the prophecy of Zechariah 9.9, and in so doing, emphasizing the humility that was to characterize His kingdom. The irony of His acceptance as the new Davidic king by the crowds would only five days later cry out for His execution should be a sobering reminder of our human tendency to want God on our own terms. And I think that's all that that is. The whole diminishing of Holy Week, moving directly from Palm Sunday to an Easter celebration. And for some reason, we don't have the time to do that after Easter, so we cram it all in before Easter. The Easter egg hunts and the parties and you name it. I don't know about you, but I sometimes want God on my own terms. I want Him to look the other way at my sin. To somehow even bless my bad decisions at times. But the reality of it is He is holy. He is God and I am not. We'll have a few days break as... It seems that Jesus and the disciples after this event will function as they had for several days until we get to something called Monday or Holy Thursday. On this day we will be called to remember again a variety of events that are clustered on this last day before Jesus is arrested. They will include things like remembering the institution of the Holy Eucharist or the Lord's Supper, the betrayal of Judas, and Jesus' praying in the Garden of Gethsemane while His disciples sleep. 
another picture of the church sometimes. Amen? As we too oftentimes find ourselves napping. Traditionally in the Christian church, this day is known as Monday Thursday. The term Monday actually comes from the Latin word mandatum, where we get to mandate or to command. And in our communion, as in a number of communions, this is also a day where we wash one another's feet. And we remember Jesus' commandment to his disciples found in John 13 and 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you. You also ought to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. For some Christians, uh, a Seder meal might be celebrated on this night as they very much connect the Passover with the Jewish Passover or Seder. In some church traditions, such as our communion, all of the altar coverings and decorations are removed after the Eucharist on Monday, Thursday. Since this altar symbolizes Christ, the stripping of the altar symbolizes the abandonment of Jesus by his disciples and the stripping of Jesus by the soldiers prior to his crucifixion. This, like the darkness often incorporated into the Good Friday service, represents the humiliation of Jesus and the consequences of our sins as a preparation for the celebration of new life and hope that will come on Resurrection Day. However it is celebrated, the Eucharist of Monday Thursday is especially tied to the theme of remembering. As Jesus and his disciples followed the instructions in the Torah to remember God's acts of deliverance in their history as they prepared the Passover meal together, so Jesus calls us to remember the new acts of deliverance in our history that unfolds on these last days of Holy Week. And so we come to Good Friday. In the Orthodox Church, known as Great Friday, it is all aimed at allowing worshipers to experience some sense of pain, humiliation, and ending in the journey to the cross. This is one of the only days, well actually the only day in the church year, where there is no celebration of the Holy Eucharist. This is not a day of celebration, as hard as that might be for us in our culture. And I know growing up, I really struggle with that because I grew up in a Roman Catholic household and all I knew was on Good Friday, we weren't allowed to turn the TV on, we weren't allowed to listen to any music, the house was completely silent and for you know, a 12, 13 year old, already hyperactive boy, that was crazy. But somehow I believe we need to recapture that if we truly, truly want to celebrate the resurrection, we need to always remember that Jesus went to that cross. He died a very painful, agonizing death. And He died it because He loved us that much. Amen? Sometimes this Good Friday service may incorporate something called the tenebrae, which is Latin for shadows or darkness. 
It is usually characterized by a series of scripture readings and meditation done in stages where lights or candles are gradually extinguished to symbolize the growing darkness not only of Jesus' death, but of a hopelessness in the world without God. Good Friday is not a day of celebration, but of mourning, both for the death of Jesus and for the sins of the world that His death represents. And finally, we end with Holy Saturday. This Holy Saturday is traditionally a day of quiet meditation as Christians contemplate the darkness of a world without a future and without hope apart from God and His grace. It is also a time to remember family and the faithful who have died as we await the resurrection, or to honor the martyrs who have given their lives for the cause of Christ in the world. It is a time of reflection and waiting, a time of weeping that lasts for the night while awaiting the joy that comes in the morning. Because the reality of it is, that joy will come. Amen? Amen. We know the story, and we know how the story ends. And so while our hearts are increasingly waiting to celebrate that joy and the joy of the resurrection, we must never ever stop remembering all that took place to bring us to that place of joy. Amen? Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.